Welcome back to the Birth Booth Podcast with me, your host, Annie. Joining us today, we have Nazine Hangley, a qualified midwife who will be talking to us about the structure of the labour ward and answering some questions about the labour ward and the birthing centre. So without further ado, Nazine, welcome to the Birth Booth. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so... As you know, as you guys know, before we get into this, here on The Birth Booth, we like to kick things off with an icebreaker question, okay? So, if you could bring three people to a dinner party, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, three people to a dinner party. Okay. Um, (laughs) Put me on the spot. (laughs) Um, who would I bring to a dinner party, <laughs> dead or alive? Yeah. I would bring... Um, oh. <laughs> I don't know why this is so hard. It could be like a politician or it could be like a singer, pop star. <laughs> it could be Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I would probably bring, I bring in Michelle Obama. Ooh. She is an inspiration. I'd love to. Is this a one-to-one dinner, or are these all three people at the same time? All three one? people. All three people oh, at the same one. time. That's funny. Um, yeah, Michelle Obama. She'd be yeah, she'd be up there. Um, yeah, it'd just be great to speak to her. <laughs> um, yeah. Who else? Um, I'll go on, Barack. <laughs> you know, there's inspirational people, you know, let's just learn so much from them. Absolutely. Um, and then um, I, who else would I bring? Mm. Yeah, maybe a, a close friend of mine. I don't know, we could both just yeah. lean from all the knowledge. <laughs> And yeah, sorry, that was, I don't know. If that, that was kind of... <laughs> no, that's great. I love the Obamas. Yeah. I think Michelle Obama is so inspirational. She's absolutely amazing. One of my icons. I love her. Yeah. Like, yeah, honestly, honestly, my dream in this world is to meet Michelle Obama, just putting it out there. It's the universe. Yeah. Like, honestly, like, yeah. You never know. This could be. Yeah. <laughs> oh. so, um, if you could kind of just introduce yourself to our audience. Um, and talk to us about why you decided to be a midwife. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm Nazine. I have been qualified as a midwife for coming up to two years. Um, and I currently work on a birth centre. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of like my, my passion now. Um, the, the, why I've decided to, come to become a midwife is... Um, I mean, I always say this, when people always ask me this, and I'll always say it kind of sounds really like, you know, um, what's the word? Cliche, like, mm-hmm. but I've always just been really interested in pregnancy, birth, yeah. just really fascinated with how, you know, you can grow a human. Like, yeah. it's honestly amazing. It's a miracle. And mm-hmm. during my training, I was always just like, oh my gosh, like blown away. <laughs> in the um, Yeah, in lectures and stuff, because it's just amazing. Um, so yeah, so yeah, work as a, um, a midwife on the birth centre in a continuity model, which I'm sure we'll probably get into that. But okay. um, so yeah. So um, talk to us about what midwives actually do. Like, what is the general role of a midwife? Such. Ooh, 
that's uh, because... <laughs> no, it's, it's um, yeah, that's yeah, no, your role is, is, is there's a lot to it. Um, so you're kind of the lead care professional, um, generally for, for women, uh, from pregnancy, the moment they find out they're pregnant, um, during birth and in the postnatal period. So up to about 28 days. Um, so it's, it's providing all care throughout that. Um, there's obviously different types of midwives, but midwives, but, um, kind of as a community midwife, you're then kind of facilitating their, their care. Um, okay. during the pregnancy you make the necessary referrals you're kind of looking after their um like a, just a holistic view like the social care mental care mental mm-hmm. health um their obviously obstetric complications and, and care in that in that regard cool we'll definitely come back to this one mm. um so what happens if i mean when i find out i find out i'm pregnant what what happens now like what's the next okay step? so generally um you'd go to your GP and um, let them know that you're pregnant you've taken a test and then they would do a referral to um, your local hospital and get you in touch with the midwife yeah with the community midwife so yeah okay can can people self-refer themselves now or do we always have to go to the GP um you it depends on the, sorry this is sounds like a bit of a call but it does like different models work differently and like okay. um you can like go to the gp and then um depending on kind of what the local hospital like offers then yeah. you can do like a self-refer oh. so i'm just thinking in terms of where i work um or, or how it works is that with a continuity model yeah. um you like you let the GP know that you're pregnant and then you self-refer to like okay. one of our teams. So okay. it kind of, yeah, it just sort of depends. Great. So it's more like trust specific then. It's not kind of yeah, exactly for every yeah. hospital. Okay. Talk to us about the structure of, I know you work in the, the, the labor, I'm sorry, the birthing center, but can mm-hmm. you kind of just talk to us a little bit about the structure of the labor ward? So what happens when I'm, um ready to have a baby i'm experiencing contractions mm-hmm. what's the, what do i do do i is there a reception what, okay. what 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 does that look like okay so when you'd um come in in labor um you would normally be seen um in triage which is um kind of the assessment for initial assessment for pregnant women that come into okay. the hospital um and then if you're um there's sort of two stages of labor so um although there's there's more than that but in terms of uh, (laughs) what i'm talking what i'm talking about is so you could be in early labor um which um is anything um sort of three centimeters and below and then active labor is when you're four centimeters to um to fully dilated so that so when you're in active labor that's when you would then if we're talking about labor ward, you'd go into the labor ward um, and then you would, so yeah, the structure is you, you, you I mean, this again is, or generally you have your own own room. I can't okay. to to people like call of trust in the, yeah. but you, yeah, when you're in active labor, you have your own room um, and you'll have a, na- a specific midwife that will look after you. Okay. Um, in the structure in terms of labor ward is that that you sort of come in they would do um an assessment listen to baby yeah um do your observations um and how the labor ward works is that it's a 
it's a multidisciplinary team so you'll have doctors there generally you have consultant registrars the junior doctors you've got midwives you've got healthcare assistants so it's so um you they're kind of managing your care then during um while you're in while you're in labor on the labor ward and how does this differ from a birthing center what's the structure like if i was going to a birthing center um in terms of birth center um so midwifery units are generally they have midwives only and you'll you'll have maternity support workers or healthcare assistants but um the ones so you you can have like freestanding midwifery units um yeah you can have freestanding so they're kind of on their own you've got like alongside midwifery units which is quite a lot of the hospitals um in london so you well then um, you'll have like, it's just midwives and then the doctors and everything. The labor ward is kind of either like down the corridor or, or like okay. it's, it's, it's kind of separate. Yeah. So um, it's almost like a, I mean, the easy way to describe it is like a home away from home. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's quite nice. It generally tends to be kind of less medicalized okay. in how it looks. Um, looks kind of looks like a bedroom, a lot often like um, kind of, things that you'd associate with like like a medicalized label will be like yeah. in cupboards and stuff um and so it will just end up looking like a room really oh great so can anybody um have the birthing center experience like with the pool and was it the yeah the birth um, pool and things like that or do i have is there a criteria that makes me legible for that yeah yeah there is a criteria because um on birth center um, if I go off as well, just, just bring me back. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, on, on birth centre, you have what's called, um, so you will have women that are lower risk, so deemed as lower risk on the birth centre. Okay. And that just means that at the time when your labour starts, you don't have any um, kind of medical or obstetric risk factors that have come up during your pregnancy. So that that could complicate things or... Um, you know potentially have adverse outcomes because in in those situations the 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 ideal place for you to give birth is on an obstetric unit okay. e.g labor ward uh, with doctors around but um yeah so on on the birth center we have things like intermittent auscultation which mm-hmm. is just basically means that um we listen to the baby sort of every 15 minutes in the in while the woman's in active labor yes um so we'll kind of be listening in and uh, compared to the labor ward where you have continuous monitoring, okay. which is where um, you're, you might have seen it on TV. I mean, obviously you've seen it because you're like, <laughs> but um, yeah, you're kind of, you're monitoring babies beat to beat heart rate on, on yeah. labor ward um, continuously. Whereas, um, yeah, so intermittent auscultation is, is um, ideal for low-risk women mm-hmm. um you have the kind of you can be walking around and mobilize and um you mentioned about pools we've got there okay. um birth and balls um yeah. generally not the the focus in the room isn't doesn't tend to be like the bed because we you know actively encourage different positions okay and labor and stuff so if um, i wanted um pain relief what forms of pain relief could could i have on the birthing center then okay yeah so with birth center um you can have pretty much everything except the epidural okay <laughs> um, <laughs> oh dear yeah. so you can have so i mean if i kind of start like the you know kind of lower form so 
things like um that makes such a difference honestly the environment mm. kind of like dimmed lights um you know honestly just like a, a home away from home as i said it's yes. just kind of really relaxed that just kind of helps you know initially yeah. then you can use like the pool um mm-hmm. and like immersion and water is is um there's like research into into seeing how that that is effective mm-hmm. um for for women yeah. um in terms of pain relief so um there's that then we've got um your gas and air that you can mm-hmm. have generally yeah. um and then you've got also the pethidine injection like opioids um okay. things like pethidine um you can have that as well on birth center and then um the kind of the stage up is then the epidurals which you would go have to to go to the labor ward, ward. yeah because yeah. you'd need okay. monitoring for that so if i was to go into the labor ward could i still kind of make the environment you know a little bit more comfortable for myself yeah. so it's yeah. not so medicalized um you know yeah definitely you definitely can um i mean yeah you 100% can and I always like encourage or if I'm ever on labelwood and stuff we'll always encourage women to kind of you know utilize the space like you yeah. can dim the lights of course um and okay. yeah like I can some, adjust the bed height and maybe yeah exactly and there'll be a ball yeah that? exactly some people will play you know bring music to play mm. just kind of to change the atmosphere which is yeah which is always also really good Ooh. um the other thing I didn't mention actually was um, essential oils like aromatherapy oils. Oh. Generally, birth centers tend to have that, but that's also something you can use on the birth center as, um, on the labor ward as well. Okay. To, um, to kind of aid with pain and um, and just a real relaxed environment. So yeah. So talk to me a little bit about induction. What does it mean to be induced? Why would a woman need to be induced? Um, mm-hmm. And and how long does that go on for? Just talk to me about induction. So with induction, um, well, what it means is it's sort of artificially starting your, your labour, basically. Yeah. Getting the contractions going to bring on labour, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of before that your, your body is, is naturally doing it. Um, yeah, there are quite a, there are lots of reasons why women will have inductions. Um, yeah. And that's generally managed with obstetricians. It's generally... Yeah. Um, so there's different complications that can come up in pregnancy that um, the obstetrician would recommend that you, you know, you'd, you'd um, have a, an induction before your body goes into into um, into labour itself. Um, you know, um, post post dates pregnancy, which is mm-hmm. when you kind of go beyond 42 weeks. That's an example. Okay. Um, different is to trust specific. Different trusts will start that process at different times. Mm-hmm. Like for example, um, they might start a few days before your 42 weeks, and sometimes they'll start yeah. when the 42 weeks. And that's kind of a um, um, one of the reasons. And then there are you know many other other things like. Um, obstetric cholestasis these are different um, conditions in pregnancy that can come up affect the liver there's preeclampsia there's um if you've got diabetes in pregnancy there's also some some of the reasons that you'll have that you may or your doctor might um recommend an induction before you go into labor spontaneously um so the process um again is trust specific in terms of what because it depends on what kind of hormones they'll use to induce the labor in terms of the the time span but um generally it it means coming in and having um 
what's called um, propes, something that's inserted into the cervix, but, but what behind the cervix. Um, and then that's, that's left, it's given, for, it's given some time. Um, and usually about 24 hours. And then um, ideally, it basically it stimulates the, the cervix and should help you to go into labour. Okay. Um, so there are times when people then that 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 doesn't work for some people and they do need more um, mm. the gandins mm -hmm. and so then that process can can tend to be longer for some for some women. Is it is it quite painful then to have the, this being this being done or would I need pain relief if I'm being induced potentially? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, for for sure. Um, you know, because it, it just it depends on because pain is is obviously so relative. Some yeah. women find that they they don't want to use pain relief until they're kind of in active labor okay because um, it works the same way in that if you're induced you'd still be kind of in early labor if you're if you're not before centimeters okay and just like if you were to go into labor spontaneously sometimes that process can take a couple of days um to get you into active labor and then other times and then for some women it's it's you know it just kind of mm. it's quite quick but yeah um so you can have pain relief in when you're being induced. Um, there are uh, you could there are different like, tablets you can have. Um, again, try specific in terms of what they offer. Mm -hmm. um, but all means you can you can have pain relief, um, okay. and because it is can sometimes be quite a long process, especially those twenty four hours, and if you are having contractions. So mm -hmm. um, with with the process of induction, once your cervix is open enough, um, what then happens is a um, an what's called an amniotomy so they'll break your waters um, okay. and in de depends trust specific again because I've worked in a couple of different trusts and it's different but they, um, they give you time to um, to see if you're after breaking your waters to see if you know your labor will just carry on so yeah. your contractions will come regularly yeah. Yeah. Um, and you'll progress <laughs> and then other times some women will need um, what's called um syntocinons. so it's um that's kind of what your body generally makes which is oxytocin that helps your your labor to progress and brings yes. on the contractions but syntocinon is the synthetic form of that same hormone um and that's done through an infusion through your arm through well through your through a cannula yeah. or in your forehand in your hand okay. or something. Mm -hmm. and um and then that's titrated that that um, infusion to bring on regular contractions okay um so yeah so how long could i be on this syntocin on for this oxytocin so would it be up until the baby's born could i be on it for a day two days is yeah it's up until the baby's born usually but that obviously depends on the clinical situation specific to you know the woman the, the baby's heart rate how the woman is coping um you know the the progress of the labor as well okay. um so generally when you're in active labor um so women who are women who they've not had a baby before they're kind of expected dilatation which is the um the opening of the cervix so yeah. as i mentioned before like four centimeters to fully dilated is when you're 10 centimeters yeah so the expected dilatation of someone who's not had a baby before is two centimeters every four hours okay and then for a woman that's had a baby before because her body's done it yeah you know it's done it before it's then um a centimeter every hour so it 
just depends on on the progress of the labour in terms of how long you're on the 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 drip for all forms again of pain relief are open to her and that process um is done on the labor ward so when you're having an induction and you're having um this intocin on then you would be on continuous oh yeah on continuous monitoring so okay. monitoring baby's heart rate continuously because we're obviously um artificially kind of bringing on your labor yeah i'm um, still so want to see how the baby's coping and also because we're titrating the amount of the um the drug that you're getting so um we want to see how baby's doing with that okay so can you talk to us a little bit about consent i know this is something that we talk about quite a lot in medical terms so what does it mean um for informed consent and can i refuse to have something if i don't want it um you know let's talk about that yeah consent definitely in 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 healthcare in general is, is a big thing isn't it um but yes essentially to those that question you can definitely refuse um so informed consent is is the the meaning behind it is that you would have um you'd have a balanced view of of a treatment that's offered so as healthcare professionals we need to tell you the the possible risks um, and benefits um, you know the risks and the benefits of any kind of treatment that we're given um, and that's before we give it um, or before before we do anything we need to, to talk to, them, to the woman about that um, also there's kind of the kind of issue of like the duration of consent so um, you know, for example, like anytime you do a procedure, even if you've done it before, you're, yeah. you know, you're asking again for consent each time. It's not that a woman has said, okay. oh, yes, this one, you know, in the yeah. morning. And then, you you know, you would ask again. Um, and also the woman has the right to then, you know, to withdraw consent, like, like with anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so. Because, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed or even heard of is how, you know, you do the vagin vag vaginal examination, the VE, and yeah. um, some midwives apparently don't really ask. Is something, it, or not that they don't ask, but maybe they say, okay, so we're going to do a VE now. Mm. And they kind of phrase the question where it's a bit like, you don't have a choice. Yeah. So, so for someone who doesn't maybe understand the process, maybe they won't, but they won't know that they have a choice because the question is asked as if it's something that's done. Uh, by default without the woman being able to consent to whether she agrees that or not so mm. can you talk to us about how maybe women can gain more control over that in mm. in the labor ward and that's just one example of many procedures that maybe people um, I mean healthcare professionals do so can you just talk to us about how uh, women can navigate their way through yeah yeah no I'm glad you brought that up actually about um for vaginal examinations specifically as well because that is something that I've um kind of heard as well before is in women not realizing that they can decline a vaginal examination and that's yeah. that's honestly the thing with, with any procedure when you because there is a thing of when you come into hospital um kind of women can, can tend to feel like there there's that loss of control that yeah. that you know that you mentioned that um, yeah, they don't, they don't have a say in their care, and that is definitely not the that you know that isn't the case, and definitely not what we'd want to yeah. kind of make the woman feel like. Yeah. Um, so yeah, especially with you know with with anything, um, we, we need to be getting informed consent with that. 
Um, and so, you know, with that, it needs to be voluntary. So the woman, you know, needs to um, know that she can, yeah, know that she can say no with it. Um, needs to be informed. You're telling her why, you know, the, the why you're doing it, mm. the, the, the possible kind of, um, if she doesn't have it and if she does, um, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then, you know, she needs to have capacity to do it. That's, that's the thing with labor. Um, it's so it's difficult, isn't it? Because often the woman's in a lot of pain. Yeah. And so when you're in a lot of pain, then that's, that's, um, it's difficult to kind of, for a woman to really like think about, you know, um, and about things. But that's why I'd, during pregnancy, um, generally at that sort of the 36 week appointment um yeah. the midwife will go through a birth plan with the woman okay um yeah and so we'll speak you know we'll, we'll let her know about the, the certain things to kind of expect in labor so that yeah. she's had to think about them before coming into into labor okay um and so you know so that we can you know when we're getting consent that it's um that she's, she's she's had an idea yeah exactly okay um and even similarly to that um, you know, I've also heard not only uh, on social media, even from celebrities too, in in saying that they have wanted something, maybe like an epidural, or they mm. wanted to be checked because maybe something isn't quite right with their body. However, healthcare professionals are kind of denying them of that treatment. How can women advocate for themselves, particularly Black women? How can we kind of nav- navigate our way through receiving the care? that we we, we need uh we deserve at the time and yet the healthcare professionals aren't maybe listening to our needs or to what we're saying that we want to have Mm, yeah yeah it's it's such a shame it's such a shame um but because you know looking at from looking at from both sides in the sense of um there's sometimes you know as a healthcare professional you're looking at the, the situation and kind of you know taking everything into account um you know being like the, the woman and the, her baby and um kind of the also the risks with her pregnancy or with her labor yeah. and things like that and so um yeah when you're you're and you're explaining things or you know for example in an emergency you know situation things like that yeah. um you've obviously in your mind you've you've got um your your care is obviously for the woman and for her baby and for the best outcome um but then obviously with, with that, it's, it, it sometimes can be quite a rushed, rushed time. And, you know, yeah. again, um, a woman kind of not feeling that sort of in control and things. But I would say um, one thing is for, to help women through that process is to be informed. Like things like this podcast, like honestly, like listening to this and, you know, um, kind of researching before going into that environment. Mm. um it is really helpful to helpful to help um the woman feel like there's a sense of control because i think when you're when you go into something and you've not done it before automatically you're going to feel like gosh what is happening if yes. you know you, you need people to explain things all the, all the time like yes. all the way through rightly so but um also what will help help with that is um is like you know looking into it and asking questions like you know um no one has the right to do anything you know to you or or whatever without explaining what they're doing and why and um and don't you know be afraid of you know feeling or sounding like oh you know not wanting to kind of rock the boat or whatever because people yeah because because you know we can't do anything without without gaining proper consent from from the women so um yeah i would just definitely say research as in looking into things and 
Um, and, And even coming to your appointments your antenatal appointments during pregnancy with with questions along the way mm-hmm. um with the, with the midwife and just yeah. a clarification about certain things um and the apprehensions that you have so just yeah. so just going back a little bit um mm-hmm. to, what, to what to what you just said i mean if a woman wanted an epidural for example mm-hmm. and i know there are stages where women can't necessarily have epidurals maybe they're too far down the line but if she wanted it and she could have it and maybe the woman's finding that the, the midwife isn't allowing her to have what she wants. What mm. can she do then? So if it's like, I'm, I maybe, I don't know, three centimetres dilated and I really want an, an epidural, for example, or maybe, no, rather four centimetres dilated and I really want an epidural. And my midwife's like, oh, no, I think you're going to be fine. You know, I think you should wait or blah, blah, blah. And she's not listening to me. What could I do then? Mm. Yeah, Um gosh I really hope that that yeah (laughs) is not a regular occurrence because that's yeah that would be terrible but um she could ask to speak to um the kind of generally on neighborhood there's a um a midwife that's in like she's floating then she's a midwife in charge of of the the labor ward okay um and yeah she could escalate her concerns there um to to speak to um, the midwife in charge um that's yeah that's something i would suggest if that was happening um yeah okay yeah that's cool and um if someone maybe receives poor care um is how how can they complain how can they make a complaint about that on the labor ward ah um so this would be again trust specific in terms of how you go about um there is a there is a process um I can't remember what the acronym is now, um, but I, I think that might just be my trust. But there is every trust has their um, has a as a process for you okay. to go through to like to complain. Is that are you talking about in general, like um, after their care, or are you talking about like? Um, while- yeah, good question. So I mean, um, while they're receiving that care, so would you say that it would be the 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 ward manager or the matron person? Oh yeah, that yeah. they could complain yeah, to yeah. at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That that is possible, yeah. Um, so in terms of yeah, if they're actually on the on the ward at the moment, and they and you know, for example, they don't they don't like, they're not happy with the the experience that they're having, or the, you know, definitely raise it. Don't just kind of like accept it and take and take that because yeah. you know that can also also impact on your labour, you know, and the progress. Yeah. You need to feel relaxed and, and all of that. So yes, um you definitely you know express that to the midwife in charge so yeah i mean i heard about something called pals um -hmm. is that something that a woman can do as well could you just talk yeah 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 that is that is um she can go through pals that's um generally i'm just thinking of from my experiences um usually sort of after the like is it? It's not necessarily like yeah, right yeah. there in that in the moment. You know what yeah. I mean? In terms of like, if it's a, a night shift or you know, um, she can express that definitely. But uh, but yeah, going through pals as well is um, is a way to. And you know, I think it's it's worth it's worth doing because you know that's how that's how change comes about. You Absolutely. know, through um, you know through learning from those experiences and stuff. So yeah, and yeah. this is the thing. I feel like you know i've heard so many experiences of women who look like me black women receiving such poor care and one of the things i've realized in practice is unfortunately black women don't really complain as much as um other ethnicities do 
Um, and I feel like it would just help to highlight some of the disparities in care if we do make complaints about some mm. of the, the care we receive, only so that we can avoid um, certain occurrence, occurrences happening um, mm. amongst us, you know? Um, I yeah. mean, yeah, even in terms of documentation, like, could you talk a little bit about documentation? Because that's something that many of us don't really know much about. What, what happens mm. when the midwife's scribbling away what what is the process of that and how yeah what what, what what's the process of documentation hmm, okay yeah um documentation is something that we um well as healthcare professionals this is across the board but um is 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 a must <laughs> is a must um and it's kind of um yeah really important in terms of the nmc code and things that we're that we're governed by so okay. it's it's basically if anything and everything that you do um you, your, the, all of your care that you're basically documenting it as as kind of um in a, like a chronological series sort of from the time, the time a woman comes in so all of the stuff that we're doing like observations and um you know fetal heart rate monitoring all of that we put in um and you know even in terms of like how the labor and birth goes who comes into the room things like that that's kind of what the midwife generally is either it, depending on the trust if it's either writing it down or mm-hmm. on the computer kind of scribbling down um and um yeah there yeah there's, there's a lot in terms and also if, if a woman kind of does have an epidural or or all of you know she's got a catheter in or all of these okay. things all of that needs to be documented um the kind of the times that goes in what's what's in there so um yeah there's there's, okay, a, so there's quite a lot. a lot of important information that goes into that documentation then yeah yeah there is um i mean and to be honest i always do think it's a balance because really um as in in terms of like documentation can be caught you know often you fall behind on your documentation when you're you know looking after someone in labor i can always be caught caught up on but yeah um it's not necessarily a priority for the woman because she you know <laughs> she's not really gonna be you know it like it not that she wouldn't care but you know in terms of what you're doing there on the computer it's not really like a concern for her it's more like how she feels in the moment you know what that's what she's going to remember and so yeah um yeah so that is something that we have to do you know by law and stuff but it shouldn't get away get in the way of your care for the woman yeah you know what i mean okay yeah um Mm. so um what is a v-back can you talk to us a little bit about a v-back because i know some women who maybe have had a cesarean who would want to have a vaginal birth um uh and apparently that could lead to certain complications or something like that so can you talk to us about a v-back um Mm -hmm. and what that could potentially mean for the pregnancy yeah so v-back is stands for vaginal birth after cesarean um and um yeah so what usually happens is in in that in that situation um a woman who wants to have a feedback will be seen by a consultant um during her pregnancy to talk about her options for birth um generally the advice for um from the sort of royal college of obstetricians and gynecologists is that the woman who has who has a feedback um would have continuous monitoring in labor continuous electronic fetal monitoring in labor right. um because there so there are certain risks i should start really so that means with. that they'll be attached to that monitor that seat yes that monitor then. yeah yeah so so yeah i'll just explain so sort of the the risks with that then is um 
because you've had a incision to your uterus before mm-hmm. um there is a, a, a risk of that of that opening basically that's kind of okay. one of the main risks with um it's called uterine rupture that's one of the main risks with feedback mm. um labors so in that so in those cases it would um it'd be recommended to be managed um your care to be managed on the labor ward where there's a multidisciplinary team access to um you know the neonatal services and yeah. um fast fast paced um got doctors there and everything so um so in that case then you'd be um on the kind of um they'd be monitoring baby continuously to see how baby's coping with labor also to see kind of the signs of any you know any stress or any complication really um with with that also with you know if you're having a feedback you might find that your midwife is asking you about you know scar tenderness do you feel any sort of pain um pain where your scar is because that's one of yeah. the signs of you doing your observations more regularly because um of because of that risk um so those are things that you can speak to the consultant about but you know saying that that there are um there are times when consultants will, you know, when women who have feedbacks have given birth, you know, on birth centres and, mm. um, and, and at home before as well, that, you know, that there are, there are those um, cases, but these women, um, you know, essentially any, any, any desire you have, you know, speak mm. with a consultant, speak with your midwife about it first. They'll do, okay. you know, a consultant referral and then they'll speak through, they'll like go through fully all of the risks um and you know and basically so that you have you can make an informed choice which is Absolutely. again knowing the benefits and the risks of, of anything what would you say are some of the main concerns that expectant mothers have when it comes to pregnancy and childbirth like what are the common fears or worries or concerns that they have or even doubts that they have about the entire process mm. yeah that's a good question um yeah, and one of guess one I've seen more of since joining um, the continuity model because now I work with women that are, you know, throughout their pregnancy. So I get to see more of that, which is generally um, women are quite anxious, understandably, about the birth and their ability to birth um, and to cope with pain is honestly kind of up there. Like that's that kind of one of the main things of, you know, how they're going to cope with the pain. Um, and stuff and so that's something that I generally talk to women about you know throughout the pregnancy in terms of um thinking about your choices you know thinking about um what how you're going to to manage that and Mm. um I just you know one thing I've just I've observed and seen is that women who have thought about um how they're going to cope with their with their pain during labor um just tend to have a more relaxed more relaxed approach really to to kind of um mm. when they come in in labor because they've they're aware of what's happening Absolutely. when you know normally when you're in pain you obviously um and understandably associate that with like something wrong you know yeah. and um yeah. so you know but when you're in labor and that pain is actually is good <laughs> but um so it's yeah it's basically just kind of being aware and that honestly makes such a difference. So yeah, so they, they, that's probably one of the main things that I that women will speak to me about during their pregnancy is, is can I do this? How am I going to cope with the pain? Okay. And it's just kind of that empowering woman of you know her ability to give birth and yeah. her body. So. Absolutely. I mean, what do you think um, an expectant mother can do to prepare herself for birth? Do you reckon is exercises or 
um, books to read or I, I don't know how, how do you prepare for this new experience you know because mm-hmm. I know everybody experiences birth differently no two women experience birth and labor the same way mm-hmm. so how can a woman kind of ex- uh, prepare for that um, mm. yeah that's a good question um yeah a number of things really I think um kind of getting getting your mind kind of oh, can I explain it I think well, I kind of keep touching on it again in terms yeah. of like being being aware um but um really yeah really thinking about how you're going to cope how you're going to how you're going to okay. get through definitely speaking to loved ones around you yeah. um kind of the support like having a support network is key as well in mm. with anything in life really but also in terms of when it comes to giving birth um books of course um yeah there are yeah there are so many so many books out there so many books out there to kind of um to kind of prepare you on 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 and that doesn't that doesn't kind of that doesn't use like lots of medical terminology and stuff because that honestly does you know that also <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um so yeah so books Mm -hmm. speaking to people there are um classes as well people can do you know antenatal preparation classes um you know where they'll have you know most most places do like most trusts will offer antenatal um education um and, and that's really helpful um generally for women yeah yeah um great I think yeah. um, I heard about pelvic exercises or floor. I don't know. Could you, yes. Is that something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's something as well. That, yeah, generally um, my, my women are like fed up by the end of pregnancy. <laughs> saying that really <laughs> going on and on about it. But yeah, um, but yeah that, that, that's good. That's good to build that pelvic floor up. It's also, you know, because the baby is like all of that weight on the pelvic floor is just like afterwards it's just gonna I mean yes. I, I'm telling even now for me <laughs> now, um, I need to do it as well to be honest but um just to build up that muscle but yeah okay. um, yeah. yeah there's a yeah that, that pelvic floor exercises are good to do um and just but just in general like you know walking and you know exercise keeping, yeah because that's gonna help you feel feel good feel good yeah you know, better and stuff but um, right, absolutely yeah um I think one of the things I wanted to find out as well is how can like a partner maybe a husband or a boyfriend or just a partner in general support um the woman given birth because I sometimes find that men are a little bit like oh okay I don't know what's happening here and maybe they stand back or maybe they're not able to support the women in the way that she may want to so how yeah. can you how do you encourage men husbands to partake in the birthing experience like what mm. what have you seen uh, that's been done well and maybe ways that men could kind of improve their support for the women mm. yeah good good question um i would say for men to do the antenatal classes with women okay. um read the books with the women as well <laughs> um honestly like it, it's a joint venture you know like that both of you are going through um and also because it just helps men to feel like they know what's going on as well. Mm-hmm. Like, often they do feel like a spare part because they're just like, well, she's in pain and obviously because <laughs> they can't, yeah, they can't do anything about that. Yeah. Um, but when you're both informed, even better. Um, mm-hmm. And then there are things that men can do, like massa- massage with a woman, 
um you know we've got essential oils aromatherapy yeah. that they can use to like do massages some women they don't want to be touched in labor which is fine but you know <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but there's things like that and just like and honestly like encouraging like speaking to the, to the women and to the you know their partners encouraging them verbally like you can do this and you know like you know being there on on um kind of on tap with the water bottles and you know yeah. little snacks that they can do yeah, you know yeah. there's yeah there is a lot that they can do um yeah just you know and, and just being there and stuff in in support so great so it seems yeah. like there's a quite a lot that men can do um <laughs> during yeah this. yeah yeah for sure um yeah for sure but you know like yeah there are just so many men that just feel like you know that way that they're kind of getting in the way and stuff but no of course like you know the women need you like absolutely yeah great and um even in terms of uh pain relief let's just talk a little bit about pain relief actually a little bit more if we can um Mm. so what forms of pain relief can a woman have during labor I know epidural is one because we all sing praises about that epidural. I've never had one and I don't know what it feels like. (laughs) But when I speak to women who've had it, they're like, wow, it's a dream. But are there other forms of pain relief um, that a woman can have um, during labour itself? Mm, Yeah, so I kind of touched a bit on them. um, Like, so some women find that they're, um, let me just think. So you've got kind of the non- what's called pharmacological methods so you've got like your water the water like not even just water birth because that's you know the delivery but in even in labor just kind of that feeling of just weightlessness it's warm it's you know submerging your bump in into it uh, into the water is good um tens machines um i've seen quite a few women use that those are these sort of it's like pads that they put on the lower back and it kind of yeah um since like low voltage low voltage currents mm. and it kind of um that's that's a form of pain relief that women tend to use in early labor um and then um else is there that sounds quite then, though like quite scary voltage is it like <laughs> well, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no well it's, it's low voltage so it's like it kind of yeah um, it kind of stimulates the nerve pathways to kind of block pain. Um, yeah. yeah um, or block the, the transmission of pain anyway. Is it quite effective, um, um, the TENS machine? It honestly varies. Okay. And honestly, okay. even the research, even the research out there is like, you know, women should be supported in, in using whatever they feel like um, is, is comfortable for them because, yeah. you know, some women will say it's really, it's, it's good and other women won't. Um, but what I will say is that women tend to use it in early labour because you know as labour progresses mm. um, and you become into active labour, the contractions get stronger, more okay. frequent, more intense. And oh. so I tend to see that women don't then use the the, the tense machine; they'll sort of move on to the other forms. So the water, there's the pethidine that um, women can have as well, which okay. um, is an opioid. So that's um, kind of are given usually through the well i am um which is intramuscular through yeah the um muscle mm-hmm. and that is more it more it more helps women to to they sort of tend to feel drowsy with it um rather than kind of like taking with the pain they just sort of tend to feel quite drowsy with it okay um so 
yeah and then um generally it's not given close to women sort of like when birth is imminent like okay right. um because it does it can affect um kind of impact on breastfeeding because it crosses mm. the placenta so it can oh, impact right, on okay. breastfeeding um it kind of can impact the kind of state of the alertness of baby when baby's born as well wow. um so it's yeah so it's not given sort of very close to the woman giving birth okay but um but yeah some women they because it makes them feel drowsy they fall asleep like generally um (laughs) fall asleep um and then yeah and then i'll kind of and but it doesn't it doesn't um slow down progress of labor or or anything like that um so their labor is still progressing they're able to kind of get some respite and some sleep because generally Mm. at that point they've been in labor for however long and and the thing is when you're in pain so when you're tired your pain threshold is going to go down because you're you know you've not eaten you've not slept really yeah. and it's you know and honestly women are just hats off to them because yeah it's it's mad but is there anything women can we can women eat during labor or drink they can yes yeah 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 um like you know like diet kind of light snacks you know on a really i mean most of the time women are not really going to be wanting to down like a full plate. burger <laughs> yeah yeah like because the way you put because each woman's different as well in terms of how their body reacts to the, the, that amount of pain Thank someone you. will just will vomit you know and that and oh. and i always say to people it's not you know it's it's don't kind of be like alarmed because you're the way your body is processing these contractions sometimes yeah. they'll, they'll end up vomiting so mm. you know women can can eat for sure but you know it's just yeah. whether they they, they can tolerate it um you know on the labor ward it's it's sometimes um different because if um a woman is it, it depends on the management like the specific case because okay. if there's like a concern that they may be going to cesarean mm-hmm. then they wouldn't recommend a woman eating um okay. because of kind of acid reflux and things so mm-hmm. so there's there's so there's that but um otherwise you know you've got to keep your energy up keep drinking yeah yeah and there's like the gas and air entonox or something like that yes oh yeah yeah yeah. and there's that one how do you use that thing like are you supposed do you breathe out in like it just what i don't know do you just keep breathing in and out from it (laughs) yeah so the the most effective is is kind of using it so as soon as you kind of start to feel the contraction coming so like long slow breaths on it and you can you know hold it in your mouth and breathe Mm -hmm. in and out on it just long slow breaths some women don't like it because it can make them feel uh, kind of nauseous, dizzy. Okay. Um, but that as well, the effects of it wear off after about twenty seconds. So if you don't yeah. like it, it's it's very like short lasting. So you just don't don't have to use it again. But um, but yeah, it looks it looks really addictive. Like when I see women on Internox, I'm like, whoa, she looks like she's enjoying this Internox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah honestly, like oh. give it to me. Just <laughs> yeah, in the clouds. <laughs> Um, so let's talk a little bit about um you know but the birth of baby um Mm. what kind what typical what 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 does that look like what would a woman expect when the baby is like almost here what what does that look like when the baby's like out what happens at that stage like Mm. was it not when the baby didn't like slivers or just before or yeah so just before so say we're at 10 centimeters now what what is 10 centimeters is that the head is out Oh, okay. Well, okay. how does what do you guys do? What do midwives do at that point? 
when okay okay that's me yeah so so what i was talking about before with the contractions that's um first stage of labor so when you're fully dilated that now is the second stage of labor mm. so that is where yeah from when you're fully dilated to the birth of baby and um and that process can can take up to an hour, sometimes two hours for women that haven't that has not had a baby before. So um, so yeah, so with that, sometimes the body does something called um, it's called um, rest and be thankful stage. So the the kind of contraction sometimes will space out a bit during that time. Um, because you're now kind of ready to like so it just kind of it's almost like your body's natural way of kind of just giving you a break just before you're about to like push baby out okay. um so so yeah so so during that stage um you know the woman is then pushing with with every contraction that she's getting okay. so does she really start so she start pushing at 10 centimeters then yeah yeah um usually like if you're if you're having an epidural and on, on labor ward um the generally the doctors would recommend you having um, an hour for sort of what's called passive descent. So it's just where um, you're fully dilated um, and, you know, provided baby's heart rate is fine and everything is, is okay. They, um, it just basically allows baby's head to just kind of passively move down the birth canal. So that's um, kind of, there's, uh, when, you, when you're pushing, because women generally tend to get quite tired when they're pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the epidural as well, you can't always feel exactly where you're pushing. So, right, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that hour of passive des- descent is, is usually quite helpful just to help um, that, that distance that the woman's not pushing to, you know, yeah. having to push too far. But, um, but yeah, so when usually when a woman doesn't have an epidural and she's fully dilated, she her body is like involuntary pushing anyway. So she can't really, you know, she's bare her body, you know, you get that sense to just bear down and yeah. to, to push um and so you'll notice that the midwife is then listening into baby a bit so if you're kind of on the birth center listening in more frequently to baby after every contraction yeah. doing your pulse a bit more regularly because now we're you know we're getting to the stage where you know baby is baby's here and yeah. um so um what was i going to say with that so yeah so when you're when you're pushing um there you know baby's coming through the birth canal um yeah. kind of under that pelvic bone and when you're pushing it's almost like baby's head comes forward and it kind of it retracts a little bit it, yeah. it will you know push 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 and it will retract retract push 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 and retract and then it gets to the point where it doesn't baby's head doesn't retract anymore and it's mm. kind of um, the crowning stage okay. um and um and then the the midwife will kind of then to kind of might tell you to sort of to breathe <laughs> um as baby's head is coming out to try and kind of um prevent a tear um but again also she could offer usually before this stage has happened is you know it comes um perineal protection mm-hmm. um so kind of as as baby's head's delivering she's putting um some pressure around the perineum mm-hmm. um to kind of kind of counteract the the, the force of baby's sort of head coming so out just perineum, get, that's where that's where's the perineum in between the anus and the vagina okay yeah yeah so she'll put pressure on that area to stop yeah and stop tearing yeah exactly yeah um so yeah as baby's head is delivering yeah so 
um, and then so yeah, so in that at that stage, they'll um, often tell you to kind of stop pushing and to just breathe. Um, okay. And you know that, and that's hard because that's um, a lot of women will refer to it as the ring of fire. Like it's you know it's burning as baby's head's coming out. Yeah. But um, but you know it's it's honestly it's really good to help all of those muscles to just stretch all of those you know that area to just stretch and to just yeah. deliver you know slowly. Um, so yeah, and then um, after that, there's um, kind of the the delivery of baby. Um, yes. there's, there's 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 a few more stages. I mean, we could get technical in terms of the the um, um, mechanisms of labour. So yeah. mechanisms of birth in terms of um, babies kind of will then um, what's called restitute. So they'll turn as it's honestly it honestly is amazing. I'm a bit I can I can geek out on this kind of stuff um, <laughs> after baby's heads delivers it, it kind of turns up to the left or to the right and inside then inside uh, mom so the body's yeah. turn turning inside the exactly body yeah so yeah yeah um and that's to kind of help aid with the delivery delivery of the shoulders now yeah um to the widest diameter of the pelvis so okay. your body just does that naturally which is amazing yeah. so um so yeah and then there's delivery of baby Okay. and um and so before you know that that's that stage what will not usually happen is the midwife will ask you if you want baby to be skin to skin afterwards so um so once you know and if the woman agrees then you can pass baby onto mum's mum's chest okay um and yeah. does the baby yeah. start breastfeeding straight away or how do um, some you know sometimes sometimes the okay. you know um what is really good though is skin to skin Skin to skin is so good after um, delivery of baby because it helps to regulate their temperature, yeah. um, regulate their breathing. Um, they are, you know, um, it also helps with with breastfeeding as well. The promotion of breastfeeding, being skin okay. to skin with baby. So, um, so yeah. So, so some babies, I've I've seen it before where babies literally come out of the womb and they're like straight <laughs> the onto the breast, and their cord is still attached, and you're like, wait, <laughs> yeah. I mean, other times it, you know, it, t- it takes, takes all, it does take some time. I think that, you know, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on breastfeeding. To <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, so sometimes babies will breastfeed straight away. But you know, the what is really good and really important in that, in that, even that first hour is that is the skin to skin, the baby okay. bonding with baby. Yes. You know, you get baby getting used to your smell and you know, mm. hearing your voice outside the womb and you know, and all of that. Absolutely. Um, is it something they call the golden hour? Exactly. Yeah. Hour. Yeah. The golden hour. Just having that time with baby uninterrupted. You know, it's there's no rush to kind of do weight and. You know, yeah. I mean, sometimes women they they want to know straight, you know, sooner straight away the weight of the baby. Yeah, exactly. But um, so yeah, so so the that's that's kind of in the kind of uncomplicated birth that you know we yeah. you know encourage all of those. There are other times when you you know will cut and clamp the cord, you know, straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, if baby needs to be assessed by a pediatrician. Okay. Or um, you know, so so they you know they'll. That, that does happen as well but yes. um generally uncomplicated you know leave baby skin to skin have that golden yeah. hour with mum and um and yeah. dad as well and, yeah so um i mean i'm sure a lot of dads or even you know um, those who are supporting the mother at the time may want to cut the cord so is that something that can be done um mm. by the dad how is that done when is that done is that something done straight away as soon as the baby's born or what happens? How long do they wait before they can cut the cord after the baby's been delivered? Yeah. Okay. So, um, 
usually um if you're providing as i said it's all uncomplicated um we can offer something called delay call camping it just it enables baby to get um you know the extra last bits of blood from the placenta to baby um yeah and then um we'd we, the you know midwife will clamp the cord and then we'll show dad where to cut okay. um so that can be done um you know there's no there's honestly no rush with that um even yeah. if the woman i mean so what's what then happens is that we move into the third stage of labor which is yeah. the delivery of the placenta and with that you can have what's called physiological management or an active management of the third stage yeah. so active management is where you have the um an injection to it goes again intramuscular okay. into the what's leg. the name of that injection sorry um it's there's other symptometrin that you can have yes or um with that if, if you've got some, something called preeclampsia or, or any blood pressure problems then you won't have that because it can make your blood pressure high so you have um syntocin on so um in any case what that does is it helps the uterus to contract and then um the cord the cord is clamped and then uh, and cut and then the um midwife will usually deliver the placenta so a yeah. woman wouldn't have to then push or anything and it can generally take up to about half an hour um but oftentimes it's, it's quicker than that and then you've got the physiological management which is where the woman doesn't have any um injection anything yeah. you know anything like that um and that's you know we can allow kind of up to an hour before we sort of say oh there's a delay here oh. um so with that is where the woman will she'll experience contractions again as her uterus mm. is trying to expel the okay. placenta and then she'll just push that out um and in those cases the um uh, the placenta is can generally be be left to to just you know yeah. almost like well a lotus birth I guess essentially which is where the the um cord and the placenta is remains attached to baby um so yeah so then um the woman can expel that and then and then afterwards if the parents want to cut and clamp then they can yeah. Oh, wow yeah so just going back to what you said about the episiotomy which was the, the tearing um what happens it, during that process is there like a pain relief for stitching them back up do they always need to be stitched back up okay, okay. different we'll types of tearing mm, um, okay. you know okay yeah um so with so yeah so with parenting support you know even sometimes with parenting support women you know the can tear is you know um, but and, and generally a lot of women do tear but not all of them require stitches um, there are okay. different types of tears so first degree tear um, is usually just involves the skin and doesn't always need stitches um, and you know it will kind of generally peel and go back together which is, which yeah. is totally fine um, second degree tear usually involves the muscle so um, that's where the a midwife will um, a midwife can can, su- can suture like that and repair that. Okay. Um, and um, and that's usually kind of done in the room. Mm. And then there are then the kind of um, what say the sort of the, the more serious tears, which which I would say that because it kind of has more kind of implications then. Um, which is third and fourth degree tears, which generally they were they 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 separate they they separate into different um, kind of tiers, but essentially they involve um, a degree of the anal sphincter in those tears. Okay, um, which is so where which said, is the 
the bum, yeah, it's, the bum yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, as I said, the perineum is in between the vagina and the, yeah. and the anus, so that's where those tears kind of go, go down to there. And Ooh, that wow. those kind of tears would then be um, sutured by a doctor, um, okay. and that's that's done in theatre. Um, with okay. um, with a and up with a spinal anesthetic, yeah. so you know mm-hmm. pain relief to the max, um, and 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 then that's done. That's repaired by a doctor. Um, okay. In terms of uh, and then also sorry, you'd be then followed up with by you know seen um, generally in like a what's it called, called a perineal clinic um, yeah. by one of the doctors followed up um, in terms of and you know advice say on top of your pain relief and things like that but that's even if you've had a second degree tear anyway in general yeah. but but yeah um there so with episiotomies though that's um something that's done um it can be done in terms of there's concerns with baby's heart rate if, right. um and baby's kind of you know imminent delivery with in terms of um if there's an instrumental delivery as well right which we yeah. kind of we haven't really touched on but those are, you know, maybe the use of forceps or mm-hmm. um, what's it called a von Tust, okay. kind of clap on the baby's head. Yeah. Um, so start sometimes used. Um, so an episiotomy. So yes, you do get pain relief for that. Mm. Um, there's a local anaesthetic that that is injected into the perineum. Um, lignocaine. That okay. one. So that's um, given and then given time to kind of take effect, and it it, it numbs numbs the area. Mm-hmm. And then um, a kind of uh, so it's called a mediolateral episiotomy is then is then done, which is kind of at a um, you know, forty-five degree angle. I think. Yeah, okay. about yeah. forty-five degree angle from their okay. kind of anus, um, and and that's yeah, and so that's done. Um, is this something that can be done at in the Birkin Center as well? If it's a first degree yes. or second degree tear? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mum um, could mum still be with the baby at this point when all of this is being done? Could she still hold the baby and do that skin? Yeah, skin? yeah in, what, in terms of repairing. Yeah, so when they're repairing yeah. the, the, you know, the perine- perineal repair. Yeah, they, yeah. Mum still yeah. do the skin to skin and everything like that. Yeah. So even after, if you have a episiotomy, um, mm. or or even if you, sorry, if you have like a um uncomplicated delivery yeah um or even you know any any situation that the pediatrician has to be there um the kind of what happens immediately after that or usually after that is um a perineal examination so Mm. that's that is where the midwife will then check if you need any stitches so if you've had an episiotomy we obviously you will need stitches and we'll know yeah but some but other times you know we won't be able to see until we have a look um, um and so um that's actually something that women don't tend to always know about always realize that they, that that happens after labor mm-hmm. is that because there can be injuries to the perineum because you've just given birth to a human so um so yes yeah, so we'll look into the vagina um look um, into the vaginal wall as well see if there's any yeah. tears okay um and so yeah so that's that's kind of and then that's where we'll assess kind of the degree of is it a first degree tear is it a second degree tear is it a yeah. third degree tear is it a fourth degree tear I feel like talking about labor and birth and the labor or the birthing etc there's just so much to it and I honestly don't feel like we've probably covered 10% (laughs) of all the things that um that that it entails but honestly I feel like we probably just have to come to an end today can we do (laughs) part two or part three or whatever part etc in future um but just a quick disclaimer guys disclaimer guys um you know, if they, if you do have any concerns, 
just speak to your GP, feel free to speak to your doctor, um, because honestly, this podcast mm-hmm. platform serves as a general conversation about, um, you know, labour and, and things like that. It's not necessarily trust-specific, as Nazim has mm-hmm. mentioned several mm-hmm. times. So just, you know, do speak to your GP and your, your midwife or doctor and, you know, hear their thoughts, um, because it will be more specific to your care. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Naz, Nazim, mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining us today. I feel like you've just opened up a wealth of knowledge <laughs> to our audience and it's just it's just been so insightful hearing on all your knowledge and your experience um and and, and thank you yeah just thank you so yeah. much for, uh, no, of course that knowledge oh uh, of course no we've touched on quite a lot there's yeah as you said there's so much that could be you know there's, there's a lot more that could go into but um but no thanks for having me on it's been it's been good and hopefully it's been helpful to definitely uh, absolutely but yeah thanks so much and yeah we'll speak soon take care yeah all right bye